0: That's so the your outlines, we're going to be taking a look at a little mini-series over the next couple of weeks on leadership. We're calling today's message, Elders, the Master's Plan for Church Leadership. Why are we even talking about this? Well, because on Sunday, April the 3rd, we are going to be reaffirming our elders. As you recall, a little over a year ago, two different entities came together to form Cross Point Christian Church. And at that time, we had elderships from two other churches that had been ordained, but we thought given sufficient time to let you get to know them, we would want to reaffirm them. And so we've set aside Sunday, April 3rd, to do that. But I thought in the meantime, we ought to do a little teaching about it so you understand exactly <clears throat> what a godly elder looks like. You show me a healthy church, and I will show you a church with a plurality of godly elders who are spirit-led and who have servants' hearts. You cannot bypass this and be all that God wants the church to be. Now, Christ is the head of the church. No man on earth is the head. Who's the head? Christ. But God works through people. He works through men called elders today to help make that happen. And no church rises above its leadership. Therefore, it is vitally important that we choose carefully and that we choose prayerfully these men who are going to lead. And you know what? We've done that. When we were an entity known as Whittier Church of Christ, we looked out from among ourselves after doing some teaching similar to what we're doing today. And this church chose two men. One was Keith Doolittle. The other was David Doolittle. Do we have pictures at all, Cason, of those men? And that entity called New Life uh, chose Luis Robles after prayerfully considering and praying over them. Tony Pena, Jedver Lopez, Sal Orozco, and Mike Moran. These are our elders. And we want to reaffirm them. And we want you to get to know them personally. And and so soon, um, I believe we're going to do this in the bulletin and maybe also on the internet. Elvie's working with me on this right now. We've asked them to write a little about themselves. And so you can get to know them, who they are, and a little bit about them, and maybe a little bit about their families. See, God has always led through people. Uh, We got three different ages, the patriarchal age, the Mosaic age, and the Christian age. And, And all along the way, God used people to be his leaders. Adam was the first patriarch. He was the first leader as people gathered around their family altar and worshiped God. And then we moved into judges, and judges became the leaders. And then The prophets sort of became the leaders. And then the people clamored for a king. What a big mistake that turned out to be, right? But they were the leaders for a long, long time. And then the king of kings and lord of lords came to earth as what? One of us. A human being. God has always used people to lead. And then when Christ left, who did he use? The apostles. And what did the apostles ordain once they were gone? elders, and that's where we are to this day. Crosspoint Christian Church is an elder-led church, and God expects our elders to protect the flock and to feed the flock and give an account for the flock, It's a double honor, but it's a double duty. They will not only give an account for their own souls, but the Bible says they will give an account for your soul. Do you see how important it is for you to pray for them? Lift them up daily in prayer? Look at Hebrews chapter 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to what? Their authority. They, here's why. They keep watch over you as men who must give what? An account. That's an account for you, not them. They're going to give an account for themselves, but they're going to give an account for you as well. Obey, Therefore, obey them so that their work will be with joy. There's nothing worse than people constantly going to the elders with the tiny little tidbit problems that they have when they've got so much spiritual work that they're to be about doing. You want their work to be with joy, not a burden. Because that won't be any advantage to you if they're burdened down with all this other stuff. And so, this morning we're going to be looking at some qualities found in these godly men. What are these qualities? And notice I said qualities. <clears throat> I did not say qualifications of elders. And that's the terminology that we sometimes use. I don't believe that this book was ever intended to be a checklist of qualifications. Okay, got this one, got this one, got this one. It's a certain quality of person that God is looking for, more than anything else. You say, well, why do you say that, Bruce? Well, because about the time the Apostle Paul was writing a letter to Timothy at Ephesus, he gave him some qualities that these men should have, but he also wrote to another young preacher named Titus in Crete, and he gave him some qualities that these men are supposed to have. And the list are not exactly the same. And so it's a a general list of qualities, and really what it boils down to, not so much a mental checklist that you go through as you consider these men, but you might want to ask yourself a question like this. If you were suffering... Would you want this man to come and pray for you? Because one of the jobs of a shepherd is to what? Go pray over the sick. If you needed to be corrected, would you want this man to come and teach you? If you needed counsel, would you call on this man to come and help you? And so it's a quality that we're looking for. And I'm not going to read the Titus passage. This is sufficient. Let's just look at Timothy today. 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, Paul paints his profile of what this man looks like. And again, don't read it like a checklist. And it may seem like we're doing that because I want to break it down and go through each one uh, verse by verse in a way. But it's really a quality, an overarching quality that Paul is looking for. And in verse 1 he says, Here is a trustworthy saying, If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, And overseer is just another word for elder. And by the way, there's about four different words you could use for elder. Uh, Pastor, bishop, uh, overseer, shepherd. All of these are interchangeable words talking about the same position. Uh, He desires a noble task. It is a God-given task. Now, the overseer or the elder must be above reproach. That's huge. And notice where he starts. This man's life is above reproach. The husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome. How would you like to have a bunch of argumentative, quarrelsome elders? And you got, when I came here, we had nine Originally, years ago in 1970, could you imagine nine quarrelsome elders around a table? You'd never get anything done. I mean, you'd be there past midnight every elders meeting. Why? Everybody wants their way. Everybody wants to argue their position. You don't want that. And these men are not lovers of money. He must manage his own family well. As a matter of fact, the Greek word there really is household well, and we'll talk more about that later and see that his children obey him with proper respect if anyone does not know how to manage his own household or family how can he take care of the of god's church he must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil he must also have a good reputation with outsiders he's not only respected in the church but he's respected outside of the church in the community, filled with unbelievers, so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. All right, so there you have it. There's Paul's profile of a godly servant leader. Now let's break it down. First of all, he's above reproach. That doesn't mean he never sins. It never means that he is a perfect man. It means in his character, in his life, he is above reproach. And I believe this one right here, he starts right out of the gate with this is the kind of quality you want in this man because this supports the rest of what he's going to be in church leadership. It's kind of like the Ten Commandments. Let me see your hand if you've ever heard me teach on the Ten Commandments in here. Okay, all right. All right, what's the very first commandment? God 's number one, no other God's before him. God's got to be first place. Now if we just had God first place in our lives, we wouldn't need the other nine, right? Because if God's always number one, bingo, we're going to take care of the rest, but we always haven't made God number one in our lives, and so therefore we fall short all of sin and falling short of the glory of God, therefore we need a savior, we need a bridge uh, as uh, Adrian mentioned this morning, to get us back to God. That little thing called sin that separates us, can be can bring, the cross can bring us back to God and unite us. Well, this above reproach idea, if that is the standard, we keep that high. We look at this guy and we say, you know what, uh, he's, he's above reproach in his marital life he's above reproach in his social life. He's above reproach in his family life. He's above reproach in his business life. In every area of his life, both inside the church and outside the church, the community says, this is a good man. That's the first quality you're looking for. Number two, he's the husband of one wife. Now, this is probably one of those passages that I've heard more arguments about. Uh, well, with the exception of having believing children, this is a close second, all right? But let's not make this verse say what it does not say. I believe in exegesis, that means bringing, lifting out of the text what is there, not eisegesis, reading into the text that, which is not there. It says, Husband of one wife. It doesn't say married only once, does it? But how many times have you heard it interpreted that way? A number of years ago. Well, when I first got here. It's 1979. There's nine elders meeting around that table, Tony, that we meet around today, all right? One of them... We'll just call him Brother E. Some of you know who I'm talking about. Was a godly man. He was above reproach. He had all these qualities in him. But before I got here, sometime before I got here, I'm not even sure how long, his wife had died. Did he suddenly lose all those other qualities because she was gone and went to heaven? No. And let's say that, you know, sometime later... He met another godly woman and decided to marry her. Would he not still be the husband of but one wife? It does not say married only once. Be careful how you read the scriptures. Let the scriptures interpret the scriptures. It literally is the idea of a one woman kind of man. Brother E was a one woman kind of man. He was above reproach, therefore all these others fall into line. And our elders today are one-women kind of men. They're above reproach. Their eye is on their wife, not on all the other women in the church. They are single-eyed. They totally are committed and devoted to their wives. Number three, they are to be temperate. That just means spiritually stable. These are not wishy-washy men. These are not guys that believe this one day and that the other, and they run from one doctrine to the other, and they're tossed around like the waves of the sea, and they don't really know what they stand for. No, these men are stable. They are solid. It implies balanced and moderation in their life. Number four, prudent. It's another word for wise. If you've got, maybe I think it's the King James, Uh, I know one of the the versions, when you read about wisdom, it's another word for wisdom, but it it, it reads this way, a prudent man does X, Y, and Z, a prudent man does this, a prudent man does that. It's the same word, a wise man does this, a wise man does that. And so the word prudent here carries with the idea of they are wise, they are practical in their everyday lives. They're prudent. And their priorities. Number five, they are respectable. They they have such a well-ordered life that they are to be respected by their peers. And and people in the church would look and say, you know, I, I, I wish I wish I was more like Tony. I wish I was more like Keith, or I wish I was more like David or, or Luis or Mike. And you just go down the list. And 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 those are our current elders. It would be equally true to say, I wish I was more like Forrest Doolittle or Arnold Fox. These are guys that have served as elders in the past. I want to be like that. These men are respectable. Number six, they're to be hospitable. And this does not mean that if you're an elder, you've got to throw a whole lot of dinner parties. All right, That's not what this word means. That's not the idea of hospitable here. Um, It really means literally the idea of one who loves strangers. Now, remember, the first century, this was written in a day and time before Holiday Inns and the Marriotts and the Hilton Hotels, all right? When you went to town, you either knew somebody or a family or a stranger took you in. That was the custom of the day. And elders were that kind of people. They would see a stranger in town, and they, they, they knew that they needed a, a meal, they needed a place to stay overnight. And they would cordially invite, and they would cordially receive guests for the purpose of supplying their needs. They were devoted to hospitality. And you know what? They didn't just do it, well, I'm an elder, i got to do it. They, They derived pleasure from doing it. That was a part of their character. Why? What was the first one? Because these were men that were above reproach. They weren't doing it to be seen by others. They weren't doing it to show off. They were just, they have hospitality within them. Number seven, they're able to teach. I think it's the King James that says they're apt to teach. And I've got to admit, over the years, not here, of course, but other places where I've been, I've met elders that were more apt to teach one thing as they were another. That's not the idea here, folks. Able to teach is not saying that they've got to be this biblical scholar, and when you walk away, you go, Oh, what an orator that elder can really, really teach. That's not what it's saying, but it is saying this they know the word and they're able to communicate it, especially the gospel. Our elders have got to be Christians, they've got to be gospel people. Gospel means what good news, they got to be. Men of the word who understand the gospel and can communicate that to others. And they not only communicate it well, but they communicate it with the right spirit. The right amount of sensitivity. Because there's nothing worse than a demanding leader who says, you've got to see it my way. This is what I think it teaches, and if you don't teach it that way, you're out of here. That demanding spirit is not to be among those that are above reproach. You see how this all ties together? Kind of like Ten Commandments, God's number one. Well, if God's number one, well, then I'm going to honor my father and my mother, the fifth commandment. If God's number one, then uh, I'm not going to lie. Number nine, remember that lying nine that we talked about? And number eight before it, I'm not going to steal. And number seven, I'm not going to commit adultery. Number six, I'm not going to murder. It all ties together. What? God's number one. Elders, above reproach. So they're going to be hospitable. And when they teach, they're going to teach with the right spirit. Number eight, he is not to be addicted to wine. In other words, it doesn't consume his life. Wine is not what he's all about. He is more consumed with what? The things of God. The work of God. You know, he's not going to be slowed down by that because he's got things to do. He's got kingdom business to take care of. Number nine, he's not violent, but gentle. It literally means he is not someone who picks fights. Aren't you glad? Could you imagine having an elder? Walks in and says, hey, that's my seat there. <laughs> who are you? Well, I'm a guest, first time attender. You don't know that's my seat? Bam! Say, you don't want that happening. So these guys can't be violent. Or in an elders' meeting, and there's a disagreement. You know, they can't be punching it out. Winner, you know, takes all. I'm not kidding you. About three weeks ago on the news, and the world loves it when the church falls, and they will show that. I saw that two elders on a radio talk show, did anybody, not a, a radio program, it's not a, yeah, it was on the radio, but it, someone was filming it with their I guess or it was a lousy editing, but it was a, maybe a cell phone or something. And these two guys were throwing blows at each other. They had to bleep the words. So I'm going, oh, Father in heaven. How did these guys ever become elders? And it was a horrible witness for the church. Above reproach. Not violent, but gentle. Number ten. Not only not violent, but these guys should not even be quarrelsome. What's quarrelsome? Nitpicking. Well, why do you do that? Well, yeah, yeah, back and forth. Quarreling, quarreling, quarreling. Domineering. It, it, it literally means he should not be someone who likes to argue all the time. What does the scripture say we're supposed to do instead? Come, let us reason together. And so, elders should be reasonable. And so, our elders, FYI, just so you you know, do we? You might be saying, do we always agree on stuff? Do we always see the scriptures exactly the same way? No, we don't. Do we always uh, agree on what is the best way? to approach something that the church, we're asking the church to take part in. No, we do not. But when we leave, there is consensus. When we leave, we're all on the same page. And maybe one elder really didn't want to do it that way, but after time and consensus and talking it through, says, I'm in. Now, what if we don't achieve consensus that night? during the elders' meeting. You know what we do? We postpone it to the next meeting. And what if we don't achieve it that night? We postpone it to the next meeting. Or the person that disagreed with it didn't show up, and then we take a vote. (laughs) Not quarrelsome. Number 11. Free from the love of money. Now, there's nothing wrong with money. I'd just as soon be a rich Christian as a poor Christian. How about you? And again, let's not not read into the Word of God. Let's let the Word of God speak. Money is just an inanimate object. It's neither good nor evil. The Bible says it is the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. Not money. It's the love of it. And you don't want someone in leadership who is all about the green stuff. He's greedy. He's manipulative. He wants more and more and more. Jesus talked about this in Luke chapter 16. See, the elders of Jesus' day were called Pharisees. The Pharisees made up the Jewish Sanhedrin, which is sort of like the Jewish Supreme Court, if you will. And these guys were all about power, prestige, And money. And Jesus ends this discussion by saying, no servant can serve two masters. This is Luke 16, 13. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, or money, or material wealth. The Pharisees, see, these were the leaders of the day who were lovers of money, see, it's not the money, but what were they? Lovers of money also heard these things, and they said, Oh, Jesus, you are so right. We repent with sackcloth and ashes. We're going to follow your ways from now on. No. They derided him. In other words, they sneered at him. Because they knew that Jesus knew what was in their hearts. Our leaders cannot be men who are lovers of money. Number 12, then they must manage their household well. I know that the NIV says family, but really the concept behind that word, according to John MacArthur, and I like his take on this, I just want to read this. It says, household is really the concept or the idea. He must manage his own household well and keep his children under control with dignity, not with an iron rod. You know, not with a closed fist, but with dignity. And the word household here probably refers to the external household, which would include servants and lands and possessions. And, you know, if he was a farmer, sheep and cattle and all that goes with that. And uh, all those elements were a part of the household. In the first century, a great deal of leadership, skill, and spiritual character were required to manage them well. And so, if a man could not manage his household, the Bible says, how can he be in charge of managing the church of God? Makes sense, right? And, and, and of course you want an elder that has godly children and are being raised in a godly home with dignity. But you also don't want that elder to not know how to manage his house. You know, let's say he's 10 payments behind on his house, not because he doesn't have the money. He just hasn't taken the time or the trouble to write the check, make the payment. And uh, maybe he hadn't paid taxes for years, and now the house is about to be repossessed. And, you know, he doesn't have the proper paperwork showing that he even owns the house. He doesn't have a deed or a title. See an elder uh, will have to make some legal decisions. You know, this is a corporation. And you know very well that we've had to we've got two entities that we're now bringing into one entity called Cross Point Christian Church and thank God we've got a Luis that helps us. Say we we don't have, you know I think all of our elders have these qualities in them. Uh, To one extent or the other. But some shine in different areas, right? His particular area of expertise has really helped us a great deal when it comes to the legal side of things and the paperwork and the documents and the process that we must go through to get this thing done right. Because if you get it done wrong, you're just asking for trouble. And so we want to do it according to the law. We want to do it according to uh, what's right. And so therefore, Our elders must know how to manage, not just their children, but their household. Get it? Good, all right. Number 13. Oh, we got to quickly move. He must have a good reputation with unbelievers. And the idea here is, you know, what does the world think of him? He's respected not only in the church, but he's also well-respected outside of the church. He can't be out there butting heads with the world every day. And then put on a different face here in the world and say, hey, look, I'm really a terrific guy, but the community can't stand him. Why? He represents the church. Number 14, he loves what is good. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Says what it means, means what it says, next verse. He must be just, just. It just means fair, impartial, without prejudice. Now, this quality here is crucial. Especially when it comes to matters of church discipline. Because from time to time, there's going to be a riff in the church. And, you know, this family may have a riff with this family, and it escalates and it builds up. And and if they can't work it out themselves, you know, Matthew 18, there's a process that you go through. At some point, it gets put on the table of the elders. And they're going to have to deal with that. This is real-life stuff that happens. And if the elders are not just, you could have some problems there. If the elders say, "Well, you know, I sort of have have an affinity and a liking to this family, and maybe not so much that family, and so guess where they're going to come down when it comes to trying to resolve this problem? You cannot do that. You've got to be What? Just, fair, balanced, impartial. High responsibility. And that's one of the qualities that the Bible says they are to have. 16. He must be upright and devout. Upright's another word for devout. He is holy and he is devout and he's practical in his daily life. Uh, Somebody mentioned Job this morning, and it brought to my mind the story of Job. And if you remember how Job begins, it says, In the land of Uz, not Oz, the land of Uz, there was a man named Job, who was perfect and upright in all of his ways. Now, a casual reading of that, you'd say, perfect? Upright? Devout? Oh, he never sinned. Well, wait a second. That conflicts with what? Romans 3:23, Romans 3:10, "All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, including Job." So what does this mean? It means in his everyday life, there is a certain uprightness and devotion about him that he does the right thing. He's not perfect, but he's devout. He is committed to certain things. As a matter of fact, he had three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, that wanted him committed for the sins and the crimes that he committed. And, and he's thinking, well, what are you talking about? Remember, his buddies accused him of everything. From, well, you, you name it. Because mu- they believed in that day of time. Um, the theology of the day was the theory of retribution. That means that God settles all of his accounts in this life, and there's no afterlife. They don't really believe in an afterlife like we do. Uh, And if that were true, I suppose you could figure out who all the righteous people are. Just go to Beverly Hills, right? I mean, look at all the nice houses and the swimming pools and the movie stars. They must all be righteous people. Look at all the money they have. And look at all the wicked people will just go to the slums. You know, they just must be terrible people. No, that's... That theory is not right. But that was the theology of the day. And how would you like it if three of your best friends came to you and accused you of having your eye on another woman? You weren't devoted, devoted to your wife. And accused you of having an affair. You know what Job says? If that be true, cut off my right arm and beat me to death with it. Whoa! That's a devout man. Nobody says that unless you're devout. Well, maybe, just maybe... Uh, you didn't take in strangers. He says, every night before I go to bed, I go out in the streets and make sure, this is a man with hospitality, make sure if there's any strangers, I bring them into my house. They sit at my table. They eat the same food that I eat and they sleep in one of the beds in one of the rooms that I have. That's devout. That's upright. Well, maybe you've neglected widows and orphans. He says, you find one widow or one orphan In this town that doesn't eat my food and wear the clothing that I provide for him. Whoa, this guy is upright. This guy is devout. That was Job. And so, the kind of leader that you're looking for is a man. He's not perfect. Doesn't mean he never makes a mistake but he's above reproach and he's a devout, upright man. And then number 17, we'll conclude with this. And if you want more to the list, I think you can pick up about four different things that are not on this list, but are in Titus's list. But remember, it's not about a list. It's about a quality. Here's a certain quality of man that you are looking for. He's not to be a new convert, okay? If you're a brand new baby Christian, I just baptized somebody into Christ last week. You're going to be meeting him soon. You say, well, why isn't he here today? Well, the job he has requires that he works on Sunday like for three months at a time. He's on one of those rotating shifts, if you know what I'm talking about. Uh, He's one of Woodier's finest. He is a Woodier policeman. And so he's on a schedule right now that he cannot meet on Sundays. But we recorded his baptism. It was at Keith's Growth Group in their jacuzzi. And the Sunday he comes... I'll give him his baptismal certificate, and I'll let you watch his baptism, okay? But I said, you know what? You still have got to obey the fourth commandment. you got to take off one day a week at least and rest your body and devote some time to God. And we've been meeting every Tuesday from about between 8.30 and 9 to about 11, 11.30. Two, two three-hour Bible studies. And he says, can we continue to do this? I said, oh, yeah. Baptism just to start, man. I'm not going to baptize you and hang you up to drip dry. I move on to the next one. But I said, here's your, here's your assignment this week. Tell somebody what you did. See, you got to start them off small. Give them baby steps. And we're going to be doing that soon. We'll be introducing him. But he can't, he's not ready to be an elder. Good guy. He could be our protector. Right? We like that. But the day will come as he grows and as he matures in the Lord. Wouldn't it be great if one day he became an elder if he desires to do so because that is also one of the qualities of a man desires the office of an overseer to be an elder he desires a good thing and so let me just kind of boil it down to this the model character God desires falls under really four four major headings an elder must be a good of good moral character an elder must be a good manager of his family and his household. An elder must be able to teach the Word of God in a loving spirit. And an elder must have a servant's heart. Now, these are the qualities given in Scripture for leaders in the church. And I believe that's the kind of men that we have serving us right here at Crosspoint. Now, we're going to talk some more about this next week. Uh, and then on the third, as I mentioned earlier, we'll be installing these men, or reaffirming these men, I guess, as our elders. Now, one of the things the Bible does tell us to do is to pray for our leaders. And so why don't we do that as we close this morning? Let's pray for them. Heavenly Father, thank you for the elders that we have right here at Cross Point Christian Church. Father, you know that at Cross Point we love our elders. We thank you for them feeding us well, protecting the flock. Help us to continue to be well led and lovingly led. And so Father, we lift them up to you at this time. Continue to build into them the qualities that we just read about in your work. Not a checklist but the, just let them grow in these character traits and these qualities that we we read about. Fill them with your spirit and with your power and with your love. It's a a heavy and awesome responsibility because they will give an account, Father. And Father, those that do well, may they be worthy of double honor. Keep them in your care. Bless them and their families for the sacrifices that they make to build up the body of Christ. And then, Father, when the chief shepherd returns one day, would you reward them greatly for their efforts? We pray this blessing upon them in Jesus' name. Amen.